0: Welcome back to our Closer series, and we are closer to ending this series, which is going to be ending on Christmas Day, the 25th of December. But the whole idea of this series is that you and I would grow closer to God. And the foundation for this series has been James 4, verse 8, which is that if you draw close to God, He will draw close to you. And now, before we even get in the message, I want, to, I want you to remind someone of that truth, because it's a beautiful truth. Look at someone and say, if you draw close to God, He'll draw close to you. So that's the what. That's the what you must do. You must draw close to God, He'll draw close to you. But I kind of was wondering does James tell us how? Because we know what, we know we need to draw close to God, but I think the big question is often how? How do I draw close to Him? Did James give any more information? on this topic of intimacy with God. And it turns out he really did. If you look in the context of James 4 verse 8, you're going to see before and after that verse, James gives some steps in exactly how you and I can draw close to God. And the answer might surprise you. So let's have a look there. James 4, let's look at verse 7, the very verse before it says this. So humble yourselves before God. Everyone say humble yourself. yourself. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Then in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's interesting as you look at what James is saying about our closeness with God, that on either side of that verse is this one instruction, be humble. Humble yourself. And it turns out, guys, that the key, one of the keys to intimacy with God is humility. Everyone say humility. Humility. Humility is a key ingredient for us to have intimacy with God and it's definitely not the only place in Scripture where we see that humility is important. We see this right throughout Scripture. This is a high value for God. This is something that is close to the heart of God. just going to pull out one more example. In the book of Isaiah 57, it says, The high and lofty ones who live in eternity, the Holy One, says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Guys, I want you to see God lives in eternity with who? The humble. It turns out God doesn't just want to visit you. He wants to dwell with you. And he dwells with those who are Humble and contrite in spirit. And this is very similar to what Jesus teaches when Jesus comes and teaches about the new kingdom on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This isn't about being in poverty, it's about being poor in spirit, realizing my spiritual bankruptcy, which is humility. God dwells with the humble. And if you and I are going to have intimacy with God, we have to increase in humility. But what is humility? What is it like? How does it work? How do we get there? How do we become humble? And why do we need it to have intimacy with God? I, cause, cause I think for a lot of us, we don't have a great view of humility. We think that means we're going to like be a doormat to everyone, right? Like no one wants to be that. Like, oh, I've just got to have like no opinion and, and no confidence. In fact, when I was a kid, my dad used to love the song. He'd sing it all the time. He'd go, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one hell of a guy. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. But I'm doing the best that I can. Right? And the reason that song is funny is because the person singing it has confidence, right? They're so confident about who they are and their looks and their abilities. And we have seen that. Confidence and humility don't mix. In fact, it's even funny to us, and he has what I want you to see today in Scripture. It's very often those who seem arrogant in Scripture that God calls humble. Maybe we don't have this humility thing figured out, but if it's a key for us to have intimacy with God, we better get clarity on it. We better understand how humility works. I want to show you some people in Scripture who seem very arrogant and full of pride, but we're in fact operating in humility. Humility. Let's look at David for example. David takes lunch to his brothers at the request of his dad. He gets there and what he finds is very odd. The Israel army is hiding behind rocks, afraid of this giant. David looks at this scenario and and he very boldly proclaims this in 1 Samuel 17. He says in verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here he comes. The little brother going to his older brother, and suddenly David explains, who does that guy think he is? Now, to his brothers, it looked like David was being an arrogant little snot. To his brothers, they were like, who do you think you are to come here and tell us, the guys that are actually in the army, what to do? Like, who do you think you are? You little know it all? In fact, Eliab, his older brother, calls him out, and he says in verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17, I know your pride and the insolence in your heart. Now, I find that quite ironic because in the chapter just before it, we see it was Eliab who was rejected by God. Even though Samuel and Jesse thought it would probably be Eliab who was king, he was rejected by God. Even though he was like the smartest and the most handsome and and the one who on the outside looked like he should be king, God says he rejected him and why is the only reason God rejects people is because of pride? And so Eliab was actually seeing his own pride inside Daniel's heart and we know David was, sorry, David was not proud because in Acts 13 we told that David was a man after God's own heart. And so here, David, very confident, he goes and shouts at the giant, right? In his humility, he goes, and defeats him, and cuts off his head. Was it arrogance and pride? No, he was walking in humility. Here's another example. I want you to think about about the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, we read this about uh, Moses. It says this in Numbers 12 verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Wow, Moses is pretty humble. Now we know that it's fine if someone else says that about you, but it's really odd when you say that about yourself, right? I mean, imagine I came up here, imagine we're at a Christian conference and I came and said, guys, I want you to know I am the most humble man on earth. And so let me teach you about my humility so you can be like me. I mean, wouldn't it like from our point of view, we were like, that's not humility, dude. That's arrogance, that is pride, and yet, church, let me remind you who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. Moses writes this about himself. Now the man Moses was very humble. More than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Isn't that insane? So maybe we don't have a correct view of humility, because even Jesus himself calls himself humble. Look at this in Matthew 11:28 28 and 29. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Wow. So, so being confident in your humility is not pride or arrogance. And what is Humility. Well, I think as we look through scripture, we can see like four big facets or aspects to humility. And I think as long as we have these four ingredients, we're walking in humility. And the first is this, our obedience to God. Everyone say obedience to God. Church, do you know that it isn't possible to walk in obedience to God without humility? Because very often God is going to instruct you to do something that you do not understand. He's going to do things in your life that you were not praying for, that is unexpected. And it's only with humility that we can truly obey. Because in obedience, we're saying, Lord, not my will, but yours. I'm laying my life down. In true humility, you can obey God even when you don't understand him. But if you're not humble, you're going to wait till God makes sense. You're gonna wait till you can understand God and his reasoning, and the the reason he's wanting to do this in your life and not doing this in your life, and and you're gonna wait till it makes sense. But that isn't humility. Humility is saying, God, this makes no sense, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I understand your ways are higher than mine. Your wisdom's greater than mine. Greater are you, Lord, than me. It's about having that attitude, like it says in Proverbs 3, trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding true obedience doesn't try and understand god it simply follows him can i say that again true obedience doesn't try and understand god it simply follows him that's humility you look at the life of abraham my word abraham's obedience blows me away every time i think about it here's this guy He's been promised to be the father of nations, has no son, has to wait forever to get a son, finally gets a son, is raising the son. He can see this promise is gonna be fulfilled. He has his Isaac. And then what happens? God says, Abraham, take your Isaac. I want you to go on a three day journey and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, imagine Abraham had waited until God made sense. I said, God, I need to see your reasoning here. God, I don't understand this. Like, surely I'm hearing you wrong or I'm understanding you wrong, but instead we see Abraham's humility to say, God, this is even, it's like going against the promise that I know you have for my life, but even so, I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna lay my life down, my son's life down. Guys, that is true humility. Saying, God, I will listen to you even when I can't figure you out, even when nothing makes sense because you're God and I'm not. And so a big component to humility is just going to be our obedience. There's so many more examples actually in Scripture of men and women who would obey God even though it didn't match their understanding or make any sense. Second component to humility is going to be dependence on God. Everyone say dependence on God. Look at someone and encourage them and say, depend on God. Let's go back to the example with David, who seemed so arrogant, but later on we see where his arrogance came from. It turns out David was not confident in his own abilities. He wasn't confident in his talents. He wasn't confident in his smarts and his experience. His confidence came from God and so it was humility because he was fully dependent on God. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 17. David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the poor of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now his brothers, they were, they were sizing their life up based on their own abilities. And because their CVs looked better, And they were older and stronger and wiser and had more experience. They looked down on David. But David, his confidence came from the Lord. And when you and I are confident in what the Lord can do through our lives, that's not arrogance, that's humility. I'm completely dependent, God. It's not by might, it's not by my power, but it's by your spirit. That's humility. Completely dependent. I have complete confidence in what God can do. That's not arrogance, church. It's humility. Now the example is... The, the twelve spies who were sent out to go spy on the promised land from Israel. Remember that story. Ten of the spies came back and they had devastating news. They said uh, in Numbers thirteen twenty seven, they said, "We arrived in the land that you sent us to see, and it's indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit as proof." But the people living there are powerful, and the cities. The cities and towns are fortified and they're very large. Once these men spoke, everyone was in panic. We can't go there. We can't do that except for two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua. What do they say? They they said this in, in verse 30. No, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Now, again, I want to say, I think to the people in the nation, I mean, they got so cross with Caleb and Joshua that they wanted to stone them. And they're like, you guys are being big-headed and overconfident and you're full of yourself. And it would have looked like the 10 who didn't want to go into the Promised land were the humble ones. Because they were like, oh, we don't have it in us. And we're not strong enough. And how can just us mere slaves go against that mighty army? And, And we're really being considerate, right? We're being considerate of our... Our wives and our kids, we don't want to put them at risk and they're elderly in our community. And it would have looked like they were the humble ones because they were thinking so less of themselves that they didn't want to fight the enemy. But from God's perspective, Caleb and Joshua were truly the ones based and walking in humility because they had complete dependence, not on their ability, but on the ability of God to come through on their behalf. And if you and I are walking in true humility, we've got to have that same confidence to say, God, I'm going to be confident in what you can do in my life, in and through me. I'm confident, not in my own ability am I smart and I can hustle and make a plan. No, I'm confident in what you can do through me. Listen to how Caleb and Joshua would speak about their reliance in God in Numbers 14, verse 9. It says, do not rebel against the Lord, And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. The other 10 men, their experience might have been based in reality. But for Caleb and Joshua, their experience was based in God's ability. And when you and I are confident in what God can do, that's not arrogance, church. It's true humility. Number one, obedience to God. Number two, dependence, reliance on God. Third ingredient of humility from Scripture is our view of ourself. Everyone say, my view of myself. We actually see when Paul is saved, I mean, Paul's a radical man in the New Testament. Paul had a reputation and experience and accomplishments, and he said all of that stuff, it's like rubbish, like trash, when compared to what I have in Christ. Then we see him walking in Christ. Eventually, he's ordained as an apostle. And as his, as his work as an apostle, Paul, man, he gets a mighty revelation, writes more than half of our New Testament Bible, Plants, churches everywhere. I mean, his life is so incredible how God is using him. But what I find fascinating is how Paul viewed himself. In fact, I want to show you kind of the progression of Paul's view of himself. Let's start with 10 years before he died. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Sure. It's kind of interesting because most of our theology today is not based on the other apostles. It's based on the revelation God gave Paul, and yet he saw himself as the least of the apostles. And then the very next line, listen to what he says. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. You kind of look at that and go, okay, what? Is Paul boasting now? Like, what? I thought he just said that he was like the least of the apostles. Now he's working harder than any of the others But that sentence doesn't end there. It goes on to say, For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working on me through his grace. It's amazing that Paul had a level-headed view of his efforts, a realistic view of his accomplishments, and he was confident in what he had done, and yet he knew he could only have done it because of God. And because of the grace of God, he didn't take the credit for all the things that he had done. He knew the only way, the only reason I could do what I've done is because of the God in me. Church, that's humility. Having a really level-headed view of myself and say, okay, all these things I do in life, I really couldn't do them without God. Jesus would teach that he's divine. He's divine we're the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Which means all the good fruit in our life does not come from us. It comes from the vine. comes from our connection to Jesus Christ. It's about having a level-headed view of who I truly am. And this view that Paul had of himself just seemed to become more and more humble. That's how he spoke about himself 10 years before he died, three years before he died, He writes this to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, now Paul's going even deeper. First of all, he was saying that he's the least of the apostles. Now he's saying he's the least of all the Christians. And you look at him and say, Paul, how can you say that? Don't you know what you're doing? Look at the miracles in your life. Look at the churches you're planting. Look at how you're encouraging and the revelation you're getting. But it seems like the closer that Paul walked towards Christ and moved towards God, the more humble he became. In fact, just before he died, he writes this letter to Timothy, and he says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Christ Jesus came to save the world of sinners, of whom I am the chief I'm not just the least of the apostles. I'm not just the least of the saints, but I'm the chief of sinners. Church, this is the same man who God gave the revelation that we are made new creations through Jesus Christ, that we, we walk in victory. But the same man had this understanding that the closer I get to God, the more I see who God is, and that God is truly powerful and loving and sovereign and mighty, the more I realize I'm none of those things. Do you see it? I become more humble through my intimacy with God. Say, God, you truly God, I'm I'm not that at all. Daniel Strickland at a GLS, she had this quote about humility that I've always remembered. She said, True humility is this it's agreeing with God about how he sees you. And I just thought that's so amazing because as I get closer to God and I start to realise He truly is God and I truly am not that I started to live differently, don't I? I started to live in this view to say, God, my life is truly yours. It's, it, my, my life is not my own. Like when I see who you are and who I am, like just God, if, if you want to use me, I mean, that's a privilege. Just There's nothing about me that matters aside from you. It's humility, church. And if you and I are going to walk in humility, we have got to understand it's going to take obedience to God when we don't understand. It's going to take complete reliance, not on our abilities, but on God's abilities. It's going to mean we have to adjust our view of ourselves. And, and maybe Paul had so much revelation from God because he was willing to humble himself so much. I mean, he got so much insight and revelation from God that even the apostles, even Peter was surprised. Like, where are you getting this from, right? It's it's because he dwelt with God. He laid himself down and his own pride down and his arrogance down. And the closer he got to God, the more humble he became. And the fourth aspect of humility is going to be this, the fear of the Lord. Everyone say, fear of the Lord. Now, this isn't treating God like a horror show. I mean, like, ah, right? It's not scary fear. It's reverent fear. So God, I'm not going to treat you flippantly or casually. I understand you are the God of creation, the Alpha and Omega and King of Kings. And I will always approach you as if you are those things because that's who you are. So I have this reverent fear. The Bible actually says that that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in many places in Scripture, Scripture links the fear of the Lord to humility, In fact, we start to see that everyone who's humble fears the Lord, and everyone who fears the Lord is humble. Those two things are linked. Let me show you in one place. Uh, Let's go to Proverbs 15, 53, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Here in that one verse, we see these two verses, these two elements at play. Fear of the Lord and humility working hand in hand. John Bevere in this book, Drawing Near, he says that these two things, the fear of the Lord and humility, are like the power twins in the kingdom. And he says in the enemy's kingdom, the enemy also has power twins, and it's the opposite of that. The enemy's power twins are rebellion and pride. And if you and I are truly going to have intimacy with God, if we're going to draw close to Him, we've got to realize that we cannot come to Him with rebellion and pride. Because that makes us enemies of God. It sets us against God. But the more we humble ourselves, the more God lifts us up. The more He dwells with us. I mean, look at the life of Jesus Christ. No one humbled Himself more than Jesus, who Philippians 2 tells us poured Himself His own divine privileges. He poured them out like a liquid sacrifice and was willing, the God of creation from the, left the throne of heaven and was willing to become this baby Boy and human flesh completely dependent on people. No one else humbled themselves more until so no one else was lifted up more than Jesus Christ. On the flip side, you get Satan, the, the enemy, this cherubim in heaven who, who tried to exalt himself through rebellion and pride. He, he wanted to push himself higher. And because of that, no one else was sent down lower. It tells us that he was sent to the, the Bottom of the pit. And right throughout Scripture, you see these things always, that it's a humble and the poor of spirit. And those who fear the Lord, they lift it up. They dwell with God. Those who are rebellious and full of pride, they push down. They lower down. And so if you and I want to dwell with God, we've got to come to Him with humility, fearing the Lord. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud. But it gives grace to the humble. Wow. Do you want to have God against you? I hope no one says no to that. But if you do, there's the ingredients. Walk in pride. Walk in pride. You know, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 66, we find this group of people, and they're doing all the right things. It says they're coming to the temple, and they're sacrificing the bulls and the lambs. They're giving their grain offerings and they're burning incense before the Lord. God looks at what they're doing in the temple and He's disgusted by it. Even though they're doing all the right things, He's disgusted by it. God says that their, their sacrifices were like that of a killing of a man. He says their grain offerings was like pig's blood being spilled for Him. He says their burnt incense was like the worship of an idol. On the outside, these guys were ticking every religious box and doing everything right, and yet God rejected it. You've got to ask, why would God reject this? Well, he tells us in Isaiah 66, verse 4, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. They did evil before my eyes, and they chose in that in which I do not delight. Imagine the shock of these people who think they're worshiping God and then don't even realize that their worship to God like repulses him. And what were they doing? They were not fearing the Lord. They were not listening to him. They were not walking in humility. They were walking in pride. And for you and I who want to get closer to God, we've got to realize there is no room for pride. There is no room for rebellion. There is no room for us to go, God, how dare you? And who do you think you are? And God, I want my way. No, 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 church, if we're going to have intimacy with God, it's going to be in humility, in the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, God says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. That word esteem there is this Hebrew word, nabat, and it means to look at intently, to regard with favor, to regard with care. In other words, what God is saying is, these are the people I pay special attention to. I regard them with favor. I regard them with care. It's those who are humble. I do not reject them. I seek them out. I pursue them. And again, this can be seen in the life of David. David. When Samuel goes to anoint him as king and all the brothers are brought out and one by one they're rejected by the Lord. And then in essence, God says to Samuel, Samuel, what I really want is that little boy in the field. He's the one I want to raise up. And you've got to think, why was God pursuing David like that? Why was he chasing after him? Why was he looking for David? And these verses answer it for us. God will lift up the humble the poor in spirit, those who are contrite. And if you and I want intimacy with God, we've got to come with that same attitude and say, God, I am laying my life down. I'm laying my opinions down. Your opinion wins. Your truth wins. God, I, I, this is all about you. I, my life is about you. And living for you, there's no greater purpose than you. And I think that's why throughout Scripture and books like 1 Peter, we're told to clothe ourselves with humility, to live in the reverent fear of the Lord, because that is how we get closer to God. But ultimately, the choice is ours, right? I mean, God has laid the way to intimacy. He's paved this road, and this road is called humility and fear of the Lord, but it's up to us whether we want to walk it. But if you do want intimacy with God, you have to humble yourself. Rebellion and pride does not mix within the presence of God. It's like oil and water. And so perhaps as you pursue a relationship with God, perhaps you might have to look at yourself and say, God, where where have I had too much pride? We don't need to grow in humility. In other words, I, I need to grow in my obedience to you, Lord, even when I don't understand I need to grow in my dependence on you, Lord. I can be competent in what you can do in my life. I need to have a view of my life compared to you, a, a realistic view of who I am and who you are. God, I've got to walk in fear of you. Walk in reverence, Lord, of your majesty and your power. And church, I believe that if we can If we can establish and grow and mature those things in our lives, that humility will grow. And with that will come intimacy and revelation, just like Paul had, just incredible revelation with God, but he's just waiting for us to lay our own pride and rebellion down. And so I wonder in those four ingredients, like maybe if you had to pick one, like where are you struggling? Where, Where do you think... You need to grow the most. In fact, I want to give you a moment just right now to think about that. Can you, can you close your eyes wherever you are? Even those guys watching online or on TV or listening on the radio or podcast, can you join us in this moment? Don't, don't phase out now. This is for you too. Where do you feel like you might need to be growing in humility? Maybe it's in that first step just obeying God, being obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Take a moment now. Perhaps it's not obedience to God, but dependency on God that you need to grow in. Say, God, I need—I'm depending too much on my abilities and what I can bring to it. I'm not depending enough on you, Lord. Or maybe it's not independence. Maybe where you need to grow is in your view of yourself. Maybe you have an elevated view of who you are. Or perhaps there isn't a lot of fear of the Lord in your life that's not something that you've harvested or created and you want to say God I want to come to you with a reverent fear I don't want to ever approach you flippantly where could it be in your life God I want to pray for your people I pray for a spirit of humility amongst us Lord And God, we know that doesn't mean we have to just lay down like doormats and be unconfident. But God, we can be confident in you. What do you want to do and who you are? So Lord, would you grow us in humility because we do want intimacy with you. We want to be closer to you, Lord. And we understand, Lord, that pride and rebellion have no space in your kingdom, have no space in your presence. So we say today, God, less of us and more of you. Maybe you want to pray that prayer wherever you are. Just say, Lord, less of me. More of you, less of me. God, we lay down our opinions, our plans, our schedules, our demands, our abilities. And Father, we say, use my life. Use our life, Lord. I give you praise for the God. I give you praise for who you are and that you don't leave us in the dark, God. You tell us clearly how to grow in intimacy with you and I thank you for that. You truly are an incredible Father. There's no one like you. We give you praise for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.